Welcome in everyone. This is the second episode of Patterns Tell Stories. I'm your host, Klaus, and today we'll be going over the NASA Independent Study Group, um, their event they held yesterday on unidentified anomalous phenomena, uh, which they define as observations of events in the sky that cannot be identified as aircraft or known natural phenomena from a scientific perspective. This event was kind of historical in a way. They went over um, you know, the unclassified information and data that they were uh, given. Pretty much they went through archives and uh, made recommendations to NASA for how to continue the study of unidentified aerial phenomena. Daniel Evans, who is the um, Assistant Deputy Associate Administrator for Research with NASA's Science Mission Directorate, uh, gave the opening, the opening remarks, and he emphasized a couple points that were uh, kind of interesting to, to hear him talk about. The first one was transparency. Apparently, these, these guys got the memo that the public has a serious trust issue with uh, the government when it comes to UAP and UFOs. They seem to stress in a very uh, deliberate manner, uh, that they'll want to be transparent on this issue and that that will be a huge focus um, is getting information out to the public that is unclassified. They stress that as well. They're not working with classified DOD data. So their, their efforts to categorize and uh, kind of you know analyze this data is going to be shared with the American people, at least if this panel... Um, has its uh, recommendations taken seriously by NASA. The other thing they went over was, quote-unquote, harassment. They didn't really specify by who, but they were pretty broad in their definition of who was, who was harassing. Um, I guess they left it open to interpretation, but I, I came to believe they meant, you know, people on Twitter and, um, you know, on kind of both sides of the aisle of, of skeptical and, uh, you know, quote unquote believer. Um, but also it seems as if they're getting a lot of grief from their colleagues as well on the academic level in uh, the universities they work at. A big part of the harassment, uh, the point they made was that it, it only helps to serve the the stigmatization of the UFO topic. Um, people being, you know, harassed online and, uh, you know, that kind of thing really just adds to the problem rather than, you know, allowing them to have the space to do the work they want to do. And I think the issue here stems from education. Uh, they're not really aware of the history of the UFO issue. They're not, uh, they, they haven't really dived into how, how seriously the government has obstructed when it comes to, you know, um, especially the Air Force releasing data, how they, how they treat you know, people who come forward. Um, there's a long history, decades of retribution that's happened. And people are kind of fed up with it after all this time. And uh, the other group that is, really has no patience is um, experiencers of this phenomenon who have been looking for answers basically you know, their whole life um, or you know, ever since they had their experience. Uh, they've been told that they're crazy. They've been told that, you know, what they've seen isn't real. Uh, their emotions are invalid. Um, you know, they, they're, they're having schizophrenic episodes, and they know it's not true. 
And um, maybe they're being misdiagnosed. Maybe they are, you know, being sent to, uh, you know, being hospitalized for this when when it's actually a real phenomenon. And now that the government is acknowledging that, they feel like they're being vindicated. And um, this kind of thing where, you know, scientists coming in without knowing about the history, um, there's kind of a conflict there. So I think... One of the big, big takeaways from this is that there needs to be, you know, a benefit of the doubt given from both sides. Um, first, there needs to be education on, you know, for these scientists so they understand why people are so wound up about it and why it's such an emotionally charged issue for a lot of individuals who have experienced this phenomenon and who have you know, researched and tried to get information out of the government for such a long time. Um, they are basically paying the price for their predecessors, uh, you know, acting acting badly. And they don't even know why. Like, they don't understand that. And I think if they had more context of, you know, what the history is and why people are acting the way they are towards them, they wouldn't take it so personally. And, you know, perhaps... There could be some sort of, you know, I don't know, reconciliation with with the people who who are kind of you know fed up and that kind of thing. Now, on the other side of it, you know, the people who are impatient and rightly so um, need to start having patience and understand that these scientists are just coming into this um, and they're you know they're putting their credibility on the line. They're putting their um, they're putting their, you know, lives kind of under the under the spotlight for other academics to kind of take shots at them uh, because they want to help figure out a mystery because that's exactly what science has always been about and especially at NASA they made this point as well that uh, NASA is about is about exploring exploring the universe and this is clearly a phenomenon that has been a lot around for a long time and. You know, these people are brave enough to say publicly that it's a subject that is worth looking into. So I think the, you know, the UFO community really needs to give them the benefit of the doubt as well and understand where they're coming from. They only have a scientific background to, you know, to, to pull from. And they don't really think that tales of, you know, Rays from Zeta Reticuli and, and stuff like that 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 people say they have experienced. It's it's not something that they can prove scientifically and can therefore put their name behind. Yet um, they need to do the research, and and I think the UFO community should should appreciate that they want to do the research and should give them the space and the time and the patience that they deserve to do this the right way. Um, so I think there needs to be a bridging of the gap there where, you know, the UFO community and the science community kind of, you know, give each other the space to feel what they need to feel, but also understand where each other are, where each other is coming from uh, with this subject, because, you know, it's their understanding is a, is a huge, huge part of this. And if we're going to move forward with this together, we really need to know where people are people are we need to try to meet them where they are and you know have an actual conversation that is based on mutual respect and i think that's that that would be a big help moving forward
And I think that's one thing that um, Tom Zalong tried to do with TTSA was to act in a way that was non-adversarial towards the government and, you know, try to be helpful in a, in a, in a sense to uh, get this information out and, you know, make it so that people didn't feel like they were going to be attacked if they tried to help out and, you know, kind of identified themselves as people who had this information um, and be, you know, treated as someone who was hiding it instead. I think that strategy would be pretty beneficial uh, for the UFO community if, uh, you know, we took that strategy and made it so, you know, people didn't feel threatened or feel like, you know, the better choice would be to hide it rather than come out because then they would be identifying themselves as someone who held this information. Um, I think with NASA and specifically the scientists on this panel, we should not have an adversarial approach and kind of take, you know, the, the road that TTSA was trying to do in, you know, being helpful and, you know, showing them how they can, they can get this done in a way that, you know, is beneficial to everyone. Um, maybe that's, you know, too starry eyed or, or, you know, whatever. But I think that doing that would, would help us get to a place where we would have, you know, the most information possible and, you know, the, the most detailed uh, data to try to figure this fucking thing out. All right, now that I'm done kind of preaching the uh, the peace and love aspect of this, um, one other giant takeaway from this, and the thing that these scientists made clear on several occasions during this event, was that the data is not good enough. There's no high-quality data. And this point was made over and over um, that this was the biggest challenge when it comes to figuring out you know, what the phenomenon is. And this has been known for a while, you know, at least within the DOD. And I guess, you know, NASA just kind of had to do their own thing and establish that baseline. But at this point, um, I don't think we need anyone else to tell us that the data isn't there or the data is classified. Um, and, you know, one might wonder whether or not they would have had this same opinion if they had been given classified data. So that's kind of the weird you know, between rock and hard place we're in right now. Um, and and the main question is now, where do we get that high quality data? Because we're not getting it from the DOD. And apparently NASA doesn't have it, or, you know, at least this panel doesn't. So, you know, where is NASA going to get this data? They spent a lot of time talking about how certain sensors weren't calibrated correctly. Are they going to calibrate sensors correctly? Is this, you know, something they can afford to uh, spend money on or, you know, divert resources to? Or is this going to be, you know, completely dependent on outside organizations uh, in the civilian sector like Galileo Project or Enigma Labs? Um, is that going to be, you know, what they depend on? Is there going to be funding provided for those organizations? And that, that's kind of the big question right now is how do we get this data for these scientists, you know, who are saying that there is no high quality data? How do we get them data, basically? Um, and I don't think that conversation has been had in a serious way. Maybe it has behind the scenes, you know, with Enigma Labs and the DOD. 
but that doesn't really sound like a great uh, setup to me for transparency. Um, if you know they're crowdsourcing data from you know the public, uh, who who is going to vet that? Who is going to make sure that that data is in a safe place where um, you know we'd feel comfortable reporting these UAP? And you know if you take into consideration all the experiencers who have these very personal um, you know contact events with these craft or beings. That information they might not want to put into an iPhone app that goes ultimately to the government and then into you know some database somewhere you know where a company like Palantir can use that for surveillance or something, or if you know the government decides they want to start looking into um, you know experiencers because they attract these crafts and they they want more information on these crafts so they the best way to do that is to you know track experiencers um or yeah some outside entity decides to do that if they want to um you know exploit this technology for their own benefit and the best way to do that is to go to where these craft are and apparently some people are you know they're attracted to certain people more than others so that's kind of a scary proposition and is sort of the opposite you know surveillance is kind of the opposite of transparency in a lot of ways um so i don't know if you know the outside organization you know in tandem with the dod is kind of the the best way to do that from a public trust perspective but um i don't know we have to figure out how to get this data we have to figure out who is going to be uh, holding it, who is going to be vetting it, um, how it's going to be kept safe. And we need to know, you know, what what kind of data points do we need in order for NASA to do its job and figure out where these things are coming from? Uh, there's a lot of questions there, and I don't think these have been asked, at least in a public forum. Um, you know, again, behind the scenes maybe, but I think... This, this conversation needs to start happening sooner rather than later. A few more interesting highlights I'll uh, go over really quickly. Um, there should be a NASA public report from this um, study group by the end of July, they said. So that should be kind of interesting. I'm not so sure that it'll be more comprehensive than what they said in their event yesterday. Um, but at least it'll be something we can go through. Hopefully there's some sort of data points that you know we can match up. I'm not too optimistic about it, but at least it'll be another document you know that we can add to um, help you know raise the profile in the academic community for this subject. Another highlight from the NASA briefing was during Sean Kirkpatrick's presentation. He was showing the video, uh, the same video he showed during the Senate hearing. Um, of the orb, I think, out in the Middle East. And he said similar objects have been seen all over the world and also added that we see these making very interesting apparent maneuvers. So I'm not sure if he meant to say it quite like that, but that's a pretty interesting um, thing for you know someone, for him to say, because he's pretty guarded most of the time. But uh, you know, it's, it's kind of nice to hear him admitting that there's some sort of exotic, um, you know, seemingly, as he puts it, uh, apparently exotic uh, maneuvers that these craft are doing, at least, uh, you know, these orbs. 
So um, a little admission there, and you know, I guess that's progress, but uh, I'm not so sure uh, Kirkpatrick's going to be going much farther than that uh, in the near future. One of the other uh, less encouraging parts of this presentation was the seeming attempt by pretty much everyone on the panel to avoid having to talk about the 2 to 5% of truly anomalous cases, as said by um, Sean Kirkpatrick. He said, you know, 95% of this to 98% of this can be explained away as prosaic or, you know, one of our craft or, yeah, just basically human technology. And only 2 to 5% are truly uh, something that we can't explain. You know, that's pretty much what the American people have only been interested in, you know, for 75 years, is the 2 to 5%. Um, so it's a little, uh, you know, frustrating to hear them just talk about, you know, anomalies or, you know, that aren't related to actual craft that are just, you know, on the sensors. The sensors are malfunctioning or, you know, it's, it's during the wrong time of day. Or, um, you know, there's a parallax effect. They actually went through uh, the GoFast video that was originally released uh, with, the, with the two other Navy videos back in 2017. And uh, they, they went through that video that's been, you know, debated a million times and basically said, hey, it's a parallax, parallax effect. It's not actually going as fast as it seems. Um, so they basically spent a large majority of the time talking about how they're going to disprove anomalies. And that's kind of what they've been doing this whole time is, you know, that that's how it, how it works usually is that they just disregard anomalies and, um, you know, put, throw them in the, in the trash bin and, you know, say that's that. And that's kind of why we are where we are right now. Um, you know, if you remember, Back when the uh, Chinese uh, spy balloon, I think it was in February, back when that got shot shot down, uh, you know, it was because they didn't have their radars, the aperture on the radars uh, open all the way. So, you know, that kind of overlooked, uh, you know, aspect where they're just focusing in on uh, missiles and aircraft, they end up missing, you know, everything else that's flying and floating around up in the atmosphere. So that's kind of, uh, you know, what they were focused on during this uh, event was just laying out what they were trying to disprove rather than, you know, addressing the, I guess, giant elephant in the room at this point, which is the 2 to 5% that are truly anomalous. And one thing that I, you know, kind of thought about with that number of, of two to five percent, you know, it seems insignificant when, you know, Kirkpatrick talks about it in, in the context of, you know, hundreds of cases. But um, one thing I, I was thinking was that, you know, when it comes to the stigma and reporting of these craft, you know, it seems to me that pilots might not want to report the craft, um, the encounters with the craft that seem the most anomalous, where they're making the most, uh, you know, crazy maneuvers that, that they can't explain because that, you know, it's one thing to say, hey, I saw this weird looking airplane, but it's another to say, I saw this cube shoot up in the air at 80,000 miles an hour and, you know, make a 90 degree turn and just disappear into space. Um, that 
that second one would, you know, probably raise the chance of someone thinking that you're either making it up or, you know, you saw something that was a figment of your imagination because it's just not possible as opposed to, hey, yeah, I saw this weird craft. I couldn't identify it, uh, but it was, you know, flying at altitude and it was, you know, not doing anything crazy, but I just wanted to report it. So I think, you know, a lot of those highly anomalous encounters probably go uh, unreported more often than the more prosaic ones. So my thinking is that that 2 to 5%, as quoted by Kirkpatrick, uh, might actually be a little higher, uh, say, you know, if you hypothetically remove the stigma uh, 100%, um, you know, maybe it, maybe it goes up to 10%. Or, or something like that. So, yeah, just to kind of recap, I, them talking about, you know, the 95% of cases that are prosaic and how they will um, make that determination that they are prosaic and not actually talk about the 5% that everyone is actually interested in is uh, was kind of disappointing. But they did address um, alien intelligence extraterrestrial civilizations kind of towards the end there. But um, that's, you know, I guess that is NASA's prerogative. But um, we really don't know if they come from an, an alien civilization. They, they could be from right here. It could be crypto-terrestrial, ultra-terrestrial, any of those things. Um, obviously, it's probably way too early to get into that conversation with NASA. But, um, yeah, I, I just feel like that's something that could have been talked about more and may have, you know, affected the public consciousness um, in a more, you know, effective way. One other kind of hot topic that's going on right now is Stephen Greer's Disclosure 2.0 conference he's having, where he's having whistleblowers come out and tell their stories. And that is something that is kind of a topic of debate Um, my personal thoughts, I mean, obviously most people listening to this understand the grifter allegations and, you know, he's charging people thousands of dollars to watch flares being shot out of an airplane and, uh, you know, that kind of thing that he's, he's kind of been known as, you know, wanting, wanting to make money and being a narcissist and just, kind of pushing his own agenda while not not taking into consideration um, the larger disclosure effort. He wants to do it his way. He wants to do it with his people. And he wants the attention, basically, that comes with this. You know, this is a second effort to do this uh, down in Washington, D.C. Um, he did, you know, it's like a press press briefing. I'm not sure, you know, what press is going to show up there. But... It seems a little uh, convenient, I guess, or coincidental that he's getting this stuff. Um, he, he, you know, he had the foresight to set this stuff up when you know we're we're starting to get news of whistleblowers. We're starting to get you know NASA to doing doing their presentation they did. Uh, it just seems a bit opportunistic to me, and you know that's fine. That's you know. He can do whatever he wants to do. Um, it just it just seems odd to me that he would rather you know make make it about himself seemingly um, than do it through official channels. Um, 
So my thinking is that if his whistleblowers, you know, haven't talked to Arrow, haven't talked to Congress, you know, haven't made that effort to do this the right way, do it the official way through legislation that's been passed, it kind of puts in the question uh, the motives of him and his whistleblowers. I would like to know if the whistleblowers that will be speaking at his event have spoken to Arrow, spoken to Congress, done their due diligence in reporting this stuff uh, through official channels, and done everything they can to bring this forward um, to Congress, you know, the representatives of the American people. This is a subject that involves everyone in, you know, in the U.S. and the world. This is... um, something that should be done correctly. And if it's not done correctly, if it's done for money, if it's done for fame, if it's done for any other purpose than to bring out the information and have the conversation and make some decisions on a global level about what's going to have to be done about this, I don't know. I I just think it might be a distraction. I think it might be, you know, it might detract from what the ultimate goal is here, which is to have actual, you know, disclosure, not to, you know, put money in Stephen Greer's bank account and have people along for the ride just because, you know, they have a story and don't feel like telling Congress and feel like making a buck off of it. Or they, you know, just don't like the people who paved paved the road for the official way to do this. Greer is hated Lou Elizondo and Chris Mellon. He's called them, you know, disinformation agents, all that stuff. And that's fine. He can have his opinion about it. But the fact is that they they paved the way for actual congressional legislation in the United States. You know, it's the law of the land that this stuff um, needs to be reported to Arrow and to Congress, ultimately, who, you know, represent the American people. So, yeah, I think we need to ask if these whistleblowers have, you know, tried to do the right thing first. Have they have they talked to Arrow or Congress? How did that go? And if they haven't, do they plan to? Um, and what what do they plan on telling them? Because clearly they're going public with this stuff. So this information is going to be in the public record. I, I just wonder, you know, what are the protections? They, they don't have protections if they don't go to Arrow or Congress. Senator Gillibrand has made it very clear that she will do everything in her power to uh, protect and support UFO whistleblowers if they go, you know, to her office. Um, she has had success on this in the past with, uh, you know, sexual violence in the military. She um, she's been a champion of protecting service service members who, you know, want to come forward and tell their story, whether it be about, you know, sexual assault or UFOs. She has had success in the past with this. And I just kind of wonder why someone who was truly doing this and coming forward in good faith, why they wouldn't want to get those protections, you know, why they wouldn't want to do this through official channels and instead just go with kind of a known con man uh, in Stephen Greer and just throw it out there in the public without any any official verification or you know just any protections at all it just seems kind of weird to me um i don't know i could be wrong they could 
just be doing it because they don't trust the government or Congress. Um, I, I understand not going to Arrow more so than, than going to Congress. Because Congress passed this legislation. They have shown their intent to you know, be transparent about this and, and protect. There is legislation to protect uh, whistleblowers from retaliation. And, you know, it might not go far enough right now at this point. But if that legislation is going to be updated, I don't see why they wouldn't just wait for more protections rather than just, you know, exposing themselves on the public stage for, you know, whoever to, to come after them. It just doesn't make sense to me unless, you know, they're doing it for reasons that are, you know, monetarily motivated. But uh, that's just me. Um, who knows? Maybe maybe it could be great. But uh, considering what's happened in the past and considering how Stephen Greer is, has acted and his, his very clear uh, narcissistic tendencies and the kind of people that those can attract, I'm... I'm not so hopeful that it is a a genuine uh, effort to bring information forward. Um, I think it it seems like there is an ul- ulterior motive rather than just to do this um, for the benefit of the public. So uh, I hope I'm wrong. I mean, that's that's just where I'm at with it, and I'm sorry if I offend anyone, but. Um, that's just the situation and what it looks like from where I'm sitting. So, so that's pretty much uh, what I wanted to address in this episode. Um, I have an article that is out now for supporters uh, called Reflections of Deception. Um, it should be available to everyone either Friday or Saturday at the latest. Um, I go through a few books, uh, Secret Machines um, and Passport to Magonia by Jacques Vallée. So I make connections between themes from those two books, um, specifically kind of the the fairy aspect or the fae, um, as it's called. Uh, it's it's kind of a intelligence that that is connected to a hive mind type um, consciousness, at least within the Secret Machines books, and um, I kind of tie that into uh, current technology and whether or not uh, we're being exploited or our, our worshiping of technology is being exploited by this consciousness. It's pretty out there. Um, there's, there's a lot to it uh, to you know, kind of make those connections, but it was fun to write, um, and I hope you guys enjoy it. I also did an interview with uh, another podcast that should be coming out early next week that I'm really looking forward to uh, announcing. Um, I don't think I can say who it is just yet, but I'll let them make that announcement. But I think you guys will like it. Um, It was a really great time, and I I love the host. It was great great to meet him. But you'll be hearing about that soon enough. Um, And that's about it for me. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode, and um, hopefully I'm getting better better at communicating what I'm trying to say. And um, yeah, I'll see you guys next week.